are. A couple very frequent guests here on Talk is Jericho to do another uh, edition of the classic album Clash, which is a lot of fun. And and, and Joe Joe Feeney from Creative Control and Conan and Raven and Doink the Clown and whatever other podcasts you are uh, producing. Uh, you have never done a classic album Clash, so this is going to be a good time. Frankie Kazarian has done two classic album clashes in the past, both of them Metallica related, uh, Ride the Lightning versus Master Puppets, and of course, Load and Reload. And this one is similar to that because we're doing Use Your Illusion 1 and 2, which much like Load and Reload are sister albums. And well, and what thirty years old as of this year? As of actually this this week, to be honest yeah, with you, when we're gonna yeah. when we're gonna air this, and the difference between the two is Load and Reload came out about I think it was about eighteen months apart or so. Right, right. These came out on the exact same day. Where were you? Did you buy these in the store when they came out, uh, Joe? No, I I uh, I was like nine, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, of course, I was I was already listening to them because you know friends would play it for me. I, kids my age were listening to NWA at that time too. We were all right. playing all the bad tapes for each other, and I remember I got Use Illusion two like off Columbia House. I, I did one of those sneaky orders to Columbia House, and it came in. And then I think one I took from a friend, but. No, I mean, you see all the news footage and stuff back then. It's unbelievable to see all the lines across the country. People were waiting outside their record stores and whatever for the tapes and CDs to drop. But no, I, unfortunately, I wasn't there, but I did. I did get both eventually. How about you, Frankie? So I um, so when this came out, I was 13 going on 14. So I had the cassette. And that summer for my birthday, I had just got my first boom box that had a CD player. <laughs> so my first three CDs that I ever got either as presents or bought myself was Metallica Black Album, Use Your Illusion 2, and the Sir Mix-a-Lot album that had Baby Got Back on it. <laughs> Those are my first three CDs. And then I got Use Your Illusion 1 later, which why I got two first, I don't know. So yeah, Use Your Illusion 2, I always remember that as one of the very first CDs I actually physically saw and like was looking at the liner notes and I was like, wow, I got a CD player now. Like, so, so yeah, and that was my, cause previously it was all appetite and lies. I had that all on cassette. Much like you, I also bought user illusion to first. And I'll tell you the reason why, because uh, you could be mine is on it. And that was the first single. So you were nine and Frank was 13 and I was 20. So obviously guns and roses was huge in high school, but just to go back to this time, I was talking to somebody about it the other day. The 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 mania for the, the these two records and the Black Album as well, which came out a little bit prior, because Guns and Metallica were the two biggest bands in the land, in the world, America, Canada, wherever you live. And the difference was that, uh, of course, these are two records coming out on the same day. And here's the other thing about it that made it super cool. There isn't blockbuster event movies anymore like there was. And Terminator 2 had the same amount of anticipation as the new Guns N' Roses record did. And of course, You Could Be Mine is in Terminator 2. And the Terminator is in the video for You Could Be Mine. So they tied in this huge movie with this huge album release. And it was just this month-long Guns N' Roses Terminator. And it was just really, really cool. Yeah, that was long before like the Star Wars prequels or anything. That might have yeah. been the most anticipated prequel ever. Ever. Yeah, sequel, yeah. Sequel, I'm sorry, sequel, yeah. And yeah, the video, 
with with all, Guns N' Roses staggering out of the club at the end, and Arnold <laughs> tracking them, and on Axel it says "waste of ammo." Like <laughs> so good, so good. <laughs> But that's the thing, too. I remember thinking, like, why are they releasing two records on the same day? Because being a huge Beatles fan, I was like, why don't they just do a White Album type of thing? And then I thought maybe it was a, a, a financial decision. Do you guys do you have any idea why they did two on the same day? I always read that it was because everyone had so much material. Like, Axel had his songs, right. Izzy had his songs, Duff had his and they recorded all this stuff before Izzy even left. So they had that. They had they're going to put out a covers album too, and then in like another CD of or another EP. So that it was almost like three and a half records on the same day. But they wound up doing Usual Illusion one and two and held on to uh, the spaghetti incident. But I don't think it was, I think they just did it to do it, just to just to be oh we're the biggest band. We're going to drop two albums on the same day. Let's get them both in the top five or whatever, you know, just something like that. I, I had read that too, just an abundance of material. But I also read that a lot of the stuff. Like um, uh, they had a lot of stuff that was like pre-appetite that songs that had been written, riffs, ideas, and a lot of stuff, you know, obviously after that. So and like you could kind of tell like that a lot of the pre-appetite stuff kind of out wound up on on Usual Illusion 1 and the post stuff wound up on listen to the records. You can kind of tell the direction they're going. But yeah, I'd always heard that just too many songs. Well, yeah, no, I wasn't I wasn't asking why they had two records. My point was why release two separate ones on the same day and not just put it together as a double album. And I always thought, well, maybe it could be, maybe, maybe it's a little bit more expensive to buy them both than if you had it together, or maybe it counts as two separate units. So they could say they sold, yeah. you know, if they sold 500,000 of each type thing. So had anybody done that up until that point, had any band ever done that? Like it might've been like a first too. You know? the, the only thing that I can compare it to Frankie was when kiss released the four solo albums on the same day. Okay. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, so that might've been it too. It might've been like, we're the first band to do this. And like you said, they double their album sales. Any, any Guns right. N Roses fan is going to buy both those albums, you know, if not this first day, eventually. So that might've had something to do with it. And it's funny too. Like you said, like I didn't have enough money to buy them both. No. So I just picked the blue one because it had, you could be mine on it. Right. I couldn't yeah. afford that extra 12 bucks or whatever it was. I remember reading about the sales, like the first week, of course they came out one and two on the top albums charts, but usual illusion two was number one because of you could be mine. Of because of you could be mine. Yeah. And it's interesting too. I remember seeing the poster. Uh, and once again, this is, it's so archaic to think about this, but this is pre any type of internet or whatever, all you're seeing are rock magazines. And when I walked into the record store, it was called HMV in Canada. Tracy would know that, Frankie. There's a big, giant picture of GNR, but there's another guy. There's six guys in the band officially now. Yeah. And then you hear it's a piano play, and you're like, come on, really? Yeah. Yeah. While we're on that subject, I was like I told you earlier, Chris, if we talk about that year, 1991, mm -hmm. I compiled a little list. And this is just, this is just, I'm focusing on the rock and metal albums, but this is just some of the albums that came out in 1991. And listen to this list. I mean, obviously, Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. The Black Album, one of the biggest albums ever. Nevermind <laughs> by wow. Nirvana, Game Changer. 10 by Pearl Jam. Chung Baby by U2. Uh, <laughs> Bad Motor Finger by Soundgarden. Blood Sugar Sex Magic, Chili Peppers. For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge, Van Halen. Into the Great Wide Hope and Tom Petty. No More Tears, Ozzy. Wow. Uh, out, out of Time by R.E.M., which is a great record. Temple the Dog, 1916 by Motorhead. Mama Said, Lindy Kravitz, Slave to the Grind by Skid Row. What a year. Like, dude, well, will, there ever be, will there ever be a year like that again? I mean, obviously not because no. the way the industry is. But how spoiled were we? 
I remember that not only in that time frame, four heavy metal albums went to number one on Billboard. I think SoundScan was just created in 91, but Black Album, Use Your Illusion, uh, For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge, and Slave to the Grind all went to number one on Billboard, all within the same probably two-month period. And just like heavy metal, their last kind of victory for heavy metal until six months later, all those bands were out of work, except for Van Halen. Well, you know what I mean? Not all those bands. 91, 92 was wild because you had like all those bands you just mentioned, like Metallica, Nirvana fighting with Michael Jackson and Garth Brooks. Right. It was unbelievable. It was like unprecedented, man. You're right. If you go back and watch like the VMAs from 92, it's incredible because it's like the Chili Peppers play, Nirvana plays, uh, and then you have like Bobby Brown plays and Guns N' Roses closes the show, of course. You know, why wouldn't they? But I mean, if you watch that show, the variety was amazing. And don't forget that that Michael's record Dangerous came out that year as well, which was a huge album. Yep. So like you said, that was a great period of all types of music. Uh, and I remember you're at the AMAs, Joe, when uh, Van Halen won and Spinal Tap presented <laughs> them the award. Even Spinal yeah. Tap had a record out that was doing some business. Of course. Before we actually start getting into it, it's a long one today. At this point in time, so you guys are younger. So I had seen Guns N' Roses. Uh, I remember they opened for The Cult, and nobody had heard of this band. If you if you actually go back, that was their first real tour was Canada. And, and right out of the gates, I remember thinking, like, you know, typical thing, you see a band, you don't really like them, but instantly people liked them. And then they opened for Iron Maiden about a year later, and two months after they opened for Maiden, they had a number one song, and Maiden was like, eh, maybe you guys should go do your own tour and brought somebody else out. So they were right at the verge, and then they put out uh, Guns N' Roses' Lies, which took a step back for me because it, patience was so huge and I hated that song. Mm-hmm. So chronologically, by the time Use Your Illusion came out with patience, then knowing that there's a piano player, I had no idea what to expect from these records. So it was interesting. To, from the chronological time frame, it really was a surprise to, to, to f- figure out what they're going to do with all these tunes. Yeah, and especially, I mean, like following up Appetite, like arguably the best debut album in the history of rock and roll. Yep. You know, like what they, they, they couldn't just do Appetite 2. Like, you well, know, yeah. so they almost had to take like a drastic kind of step like like they kind of did with Lies because a lot of it's you know, it's like half acoustic and yeah. you know, some live stuff. And yeah. You know, and once again, th- then they put out You Could Be Mine, which is very Appetite oriented. It sounds a lot like it. So... And then, okay, so we can get into the record. So the records came out um, September 17th, which is my mom's birthday, 1991 at midnight. So technically September 18th, I guess, or maybe it was the 17th, either one. And another weird thing is the cover. I remember like, what is this cover? And now they're iconic because we've seen them so many times. But when that was the first thing you saw, it was really kind of underwhelming. Like that compared to Appetite's iconic image again oh, the iconic album cover one of the best ever for appetite appetite i'm talking not use your illusion appetite so uh yeah and like right. these it's like it's like it's a painting it's a famous painting just colored red and yellow and purple and blue yeah it's a uh estonian american artist mark kostabi uh consists of detail from raphael's painting the school of athens and uh axel saw a friend of his that had that in his house 
uh, and decided that that would be the cover of the new Guns N' Roses record. They're very different, but it's kind of similar to uh, how they found the original cover for Appetite, which you remember was banned, and then it had put the cross on there. But right. originally it was that other painting, very controversial, where it, it looked like a, a robot had just raped the girl on the ground or whatever. And then they're, so they had to ban that, but that was the same thing. Axel was flipping flip through a book of uh, paintings, I believe, or at least you know art photos and paintings, and found it like that, and then they bought the rights to it. That photo they, that of that album you were just uh, talking about, Joe, that's inside the liner notes of Lies, I believe. Right, and then the actual album cover that was banned, isn't that in the liner notes of Appetite? Yes. That might be Appetite. It might be Appetite. Yeah, that's what it you is. You see yeah. it in Appetite, yeah, and then and then you the, the, the other actual, the, the iconic cover. I know for a fact, just from not really name dropping, but knowing Duff and Slash, that they spent a lot of time in Chicago for, for Trivia Nuts going over the basic tracks for this record and writing songs. Uh, and they said it was very hard to get Izzy to come, but whenever Izzy showed up, he always had great songs. And as we go through this, you'll see that the majority of the good songs on this record aren't written solely by Slash or Duff. There's a lot of Izzy in these. And then, of course, by the time the records came out, he was gone. He never played one show on this tour, which is also very interesting. That's when it started to unravel. And, of course, Steven Adler... Another huge component of the Guns N' Roses sound was gone by the time this record came out as well. So you can start to see the cracks in the structure of the band. Yeah, I believe when they when they did a lot of the rehearsals and, and stuff like that with Adler, and I think some was in Chicago as well, he just couldn't play at that time because he was so off the rails. And he did play on Civil War, yeah. which we'll get to. They put that out on the soundtrack, and that has Adler drumming, but that's it. Everything else is Matt Sorum. Yeah, he played on that, but apparently even that, it took him forever to get through the tracks because he was just... So he was just so gone, unfortunately. Yeah. At that point, you can yeah. see it. It's on YouTube when they played Farm Aid, I think in 90, they do Civil War. And you can see Duff doing the old, and Frankie knows this trick, where you're standing on the riser and nodding your head when you want the guy in the band to, to do it. He, and, yeah. he did not really know how it went, or maybe they played it without rehearsing it or something along those lines. And they just kind of had him... Uh, uh, try and follow along with that so okay so we'll get into the, the the track by track here and it's interesting for me because i always get mixed up and i even in our group text i say use your illusion one and use your illusion two and i get the mixed up because i bought two first so i get that but but one is is the red and, and yellow one and two Correct. is is the purple and 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 blue one and do we have any stories joe or frankie about the title use your illusion or is that just something cool that he liked the idea of it it comes out of a uh, locomotive just it's in the locomotive lyrics that's the right. only thing i can think of is they pulled it from there he just kind of i remember it was like some kind of uh if he said it, it sounded like something else to him at first or something along those lines but cool i i title but once again no like appetite for destruction there is no song called use your illusion uh, there's no song called appetite for destruction but it does kick off uh, uh with it's right next door to hell which is written by Axel, Izzy, and a guy called Timo Caltio. Uh, and that goes up against Civil War, uh, which was written by Axel, Slash, and Duff. And once again, Civil War is the only song on either of these records to feature um, Steven Adler on the drums. So as we do in the classic album clash, we will now go through and, and debate which one we like better. You want to kick this one off, Joe? It's a battle of each, right? So I would pick. Yeah. Battle of each. And we, we acknowledge that both these albums are great. So it's just the opinion of, of what we might have and, and kind of go from there. I would pick civil war out of those two, even though I think right next door to hell is un underappreciated, underrated, whatever, but it's a great, 
great opener for that usual Vision one like they kicked it off with a big hard rock song but civil war in it in its own way is is close to a masterpiece or a masterpiece you know what i mean the lyrics are great the playing is amazing and uh so you got to go with civil war in that matchup i think at least on my end Okay, so for me, and, and, and before we continue, I'll, I'll just say one thing is that I, I pulled some uh, Quentin Tarantino executive decisions and restructured the uh, the track listing to create uh, some better matchups. And we agreed um, as a unit, because my rule for the classic album clash is you have to have the same amount of tracks. And uh, Use, Use Your Illusion 1 has 16 and 2 has 14 but Don't Cry is on both of them. So I pulled Don't Cry off of one, and then I asked you guys which was your least favorite tune, and we all kind of had a little powwow and decided that You Ain't the First uh, would be taken out of contention. I'm sure there's a lot of people who go, I love it, You Ain't the First, but for for uh, purposes of the show, we're going to take that out and, and, and pretend it was a B-side. Uh, we can discuss it briefly when it comes up, but that's so. That's 14 songs versus 14 songs. In our version here, head to head, head to head. So I will go with uh, uh, now. Right next door to hell is is much more of the opener that you might expect from a Guns N' Roses album. But keep in mind, I made the mistake of buying two first. If I would have bought one first, I think I would have been very happy with this opener because it is a punchy Guns N' Roses tune. Which, by the way, was the ring music for the Gladiator Mike Awesome in FMW. Oh, cool. And Horace Boulder, they would come out to that and smash chairs and shit. I did not. I bought two first. So I now keep in mind the last thing we heard was patience and and Guns N' Roses lies. And I'm expecting Welcome to the Jungle, and I'm getting this very slow thing. I hated this song at first because it wasn't what I wanted. I wanted, you know, band ticket, ticket to band ticket or whatever it was. So now, obviously, it's one of the one of their best songs. It's an absolute banger. At the end, it rocks. Tons of that piano, which we'll hear from, from Dizzy. They really use him on that. But I bought it out of order. But I will take Civil War over Right Next Door to Hell. Although, if you would have asked me this 30 years ago, I would have said Right Next Door to Hell for sure. And Civil War can, you know, go, go f*** his ass. Uh, but, but definitely Civil War, one of the greatest Guns N' Roses songs of all time. Frankie? Head to head, I'll also take Civil War because it's 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 like borderline iconic Guns N' Roses song. And it's, yes, it starts off slow, but the dynamics when they kick in, it just, it's so good right next door to hell. Like you guys kind of both mentioned, it sounds like the logical follow-up to appetite for destruction. Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds like the intro, the what Duff is doing with the bass. It just, it kicks you in the face. It's like, Oh, this, this should have been right after appetite. And a, again, a great song to open an album, but civil war is just, so good in the in the bit with uh, what is it from Cool Hand Luke? Yeah, the dialogue in the beginning. I had never seen that movie at the time. Uh, I I since have, uh, but I remember like the going like I love this song, but like why why is, why did they have that old woman talking at the beginning? <laughs> and my and my tenth grade art teacher, Mrs. Hike, I remember I was talking to this album, well, talking about this album with her, and she's like she's like oh that's not an old woman that's from the movie and she told me I was like that's a man. <laughs> and uh yeah and so and i wouldn't watch the movie because of this song but a civil war for me but once again too with no with no google or anything like that you didn't really know what it was and you had to kind of no guess idea. you know yeah so okay so the second one and, and this is once again is 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 pretty much in the order that it is originally is dust and bones uh which is a slash izzy and duff tune 
uh, up against 14 Years, which is Rose and Izzy. And I believe Izzy actually sings this song. He sings both. He sings both songs. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll take this one. They're both really cool songs, but I I like Dustin Bones uh, better. And I'll take that one. I kind of like the the kind of the Wild West type of vibe to it. But once again, think about where I'm at as a Guns N' Roses fan for two. It opens up with this really kind of epic tune and then goes to 14 Years, which is also, you know, it's not as Wild Westy as Dustin Bones, but it's not a rocker out of the gate. I mean, it turns into one. But I remember going like, what the f*** is going on? Yeah, <laughs> like, this is just not rocking at all, and it doesn't get going for me until about midway through the record. But I'll go Dustin Bones on this one uh, solely because of that kind of Wild West feel, and quite a few songs, especially on on Use Your Illusion One, do kind of sound like Wild West tunes. It's something I noticed after re-listening to it. So I'm going to go with Dustin Bones. I also love that name, that song title, and if you guys are Fozzie fans, Sin and Bones is our fourth record and it wasn't taken from Dustin Bones, but it was the same idea of taking two separate things and kind of sticking them together that might not really fit. And I thought that was a really cool way they did that. So uh, what do you think, Frankie? Dustin Bones, uh, it just, just went out by a little bit. They're both cool songs. Dustin Bones, I'm looking at my notes here. Just uh, it was such a cool bluesy groove to it. 14 years. And uh, this comes up on a couple tracks on Use Your Illusion 2. It reminds me of a Stone song. So much so. And it kind of makes sense because like all the guys were like big stones marks, but yeah. Izzy especially like, and like he really wears that on his sleeve in 14 years. Cause he's singing Axel's doing the chorus, but Izzy's singing this one. And like, I was listening to it just driving the other day. And I was like, this sounds like a song Mick Jagger would sing. Mm. Like, you know, it's like, and I'm a huge, I'm a huge stones guy too, yeah. you know? Too. So like, and uh, great so, point. Yeah, and it's and there's another. So we'll get to it. There's another song, and next time you guys listen to it, I want you to picture Mick Jagger singing it, and you'll trip out because it sounds like a Stone song. But I really like 14 Years, but Dustin Bones also kind of for the same reasons you just talked about, Chris. Uh, I like it, and I was, I was the same way. I was an angry young man, and I wanted I wanted up tempo shit, you know, like yeah, yeah. I was yeah, I was yeah. I, I, now I'm an angry older man, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But these are both really cool tracks. But once again, too, it, it reminds me a lot of Load and Reload. They're very similar because, once again, Load and Reload wasn't what I wanted either. And as you mature, you realize it's just as good. It's just a mature version of the band as they grow. And it's awesome that you mentioned the Stones because there is so many Stones influences in this. If you're talking about Dead Flowers, you're talking about Memory Motel, you're talking about Fingerprint File, or really kind of those deep album track Stones with the piano and stuff. And of course, there's the Elton John element, which we'll get into. But the Stones, you can really tell. And I know for a fact that both Slash Slash loves Ronnie Wood's guitar playing and Duff loves the Stones. Sure. I'm sure Axel does as well. And you can really see it uh, in both of these both of these records. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. What do you got, Joe? Contrarian for the first time, and I'll go with 14 years. You know, you, you talk nice. about expectations <laughs> in the albums and stuff. I remember, you know, on Appetite, Axel sings every song. So you're used to his voice which has many different forms but you're used to actual singing so the first time you hear right. izzy sing a song you're like who's this what's going on here but i grew to love both of these songs I, I just like 14 years because if you listen to the lyrics and the writing it's mostly 
you know, assuming and, and reading into it myself, and I've read th- read this as well that Izzy's kind of writing about the band and Axel and how Axel's getting a little you know wild and they're not really getting along, and they're both singing it. I always thought that was great. That Izzy's kind of talking about him, maybe trying to send him a message, and Axel's on the track. And then they would sing it live together, like at the same microphone, looking at each other, you know, while the song's about their friendship, you know, having troubles or whatever, which I think that's great. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. They had known each other 14 years when the, when they, when they, when they wrote the song, yep. or when Izzy wrote the song. So it's alluded that him and Axel, that that's, that's what it was about. 14 years of silence, 14 years, you yeah. know, like, all oh, that. Yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, and like we said, it's very interesting too. The fact that, that by the time this came out, those 14 years were up because Izzy was gone. Oh, yeah. All right, so we continue on now with, once again, uh, I've done, this is the first kind of switch in the track listing where Perfect Crime was flip-flopped. And then, of course, Yesterday's, which is another tune very similar to 14 Years. I love Yesterday's. I think it's one of probably my favorite songs on, on two. But Perfect Crime might be my total favorite song from one. That's the punk Axel just screaming his balls off. Great riff, great solo. And it's got one of my favorite all time Guns N' Roses moments, almost the Sesame Street thing, where he counts to 10. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And it's got a harmony on it. It's stacked. It's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. Yeah. And it's not just the throw because there's a triple harmony stacked on that. And just once again, it's the return of the swearing in Guns N' Roses, which I always loved. It's the perfect crime, motherfucker. It's the perfect crime. Oh, damn it. It's the perfect crime. Like, no reason to swear. Just like there's no reason to just, why don't you just off on it so easy? It's just, it's that attitude to make you realize they haven't gone all the way down this Elton John road. They're still pissed off Guns N' Roses. And and, uh, I'll go perfect crime. Although yesterday's is just a hair behind it. What do you think, Joe? You want to go? I'll go yesterday's, although I agree with everything you said about perfect crime and being younger and hearing, yes, the cursing is back. You know, it's kind of like to, to say something about the present, like the song Absurd comes out. It's like the second word is mother. Yes. <laughs> it's like, whoa, coming, yeah. coming right out. Swinging. <laughs> exactly. But uh, I like yesterday's probably because, you know, it had a music video. Some of the songs, you know, you'll you'll hear more because they were on MTV a lot. It was a single. That's right. Yeah. And uh, the music video was was ironic because they're flashing pictures of Adler and Izzy and all this. And those guys are gone. He is singing about yesterday's oh, wow. or whatever. And uh, yeah, I would go with yesterday's and that just, you know, for me, nostalgia too. haven't seen the video a million times and seen them play it live recently. You know, what do you think, Frank? Yeah. Uh, yesterday's by the, the finest of hairs, both really cool. And like I said, my first note is right back to their punk roots with uh perfect crime, two minutes, 23 seconds. Short, quick, to the point. Right, no messing around. And uh, and I I would like to to go on record as saying there's always a reason to swear. <laughs> so I was always a fan of that. Still into this day, believe it or not. Cool song again. It, it, it sounded like it could have been on Appetite. Yesterday's just resonated with me. Just real hooky, cool lyrics about not living in the past and stuff. Like that's one of my feel good songs I have on my chill out playlist and. So it just resonates with me personally. Both are awesome songs, but yesterday's just is in my head a little bit more than Perfect Crime is. Is there anybody in rock and roll history, with the possible exception of Dave Mustaine, who is still sad and angry that he got kicked out of his band than oh, Steven Adler? That's pretty cool. Yeah. Just sad. Yeah. He just I feel so bad for him every time I see him. Cause like in every interview, he's always just like yeah, I'd love to play anytime if they call me. Yeah, and they call them like just two or three times just yeah. to kind of just the yeah. tip, Stephen. Yeah. But that's yeah. it, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I thought like, and I'm sure he would have went for it. The Stones did this on their 50th anniversary tour. They brought Mick Taylor back, not for the whole set, but he came out and played Midnight Rambler and he played, I think, uh, Can't You Hear Me Knocking? And that was, and he came out for Satisfaction. And I was like, couldn't you have just had Adler come out and play My Michelle and Civil War, whatever the two? Like, I'm sure he would have done it. I don't think he'd be insulted at all about touring the world to play two songs a night. I think Steve would actually probably really be cool with that. Yeah, there's probably more to the picture. There's probably so much other bullshit and drama going on that we don't know about even being you know, right. roses marks like we are there's probably so much behind the scenes stuff that just goes into it would probably just be more of a headache to do it than it wouldn't yeah and i think slash and steven are really tight but i think axel i think he calls the shots at this point mm-hmm. right. and he's probably the guy who went you know okay we're gonna yeah. keep the guy that we got i, I had always heard that when they you know super secretly were putting this back together that steven rehearsed a lot but that he injured his back and that kind of pulled back his involvement, too. I mean, I don't know if that still counts four years later or whatever, but that's what originally. And also, too, I mean, is that the story or was there substances involved? Like, I'll tell you this. I used to host that Golden Gods uh, every year in L.A. It was kind of the heavy metal awards show. And the one time Stephen was up there and he wouldn't stop talking. And I went up. I was told, like, give him the hook. And when I went to, to kind of grab him, he gave me a little resistance and Frankie will know this. You, you too, dude. We're all guys here, but but I'm a little bit of a hothead. It takes a lot, but when you get me there, I'm like, I don't, you <laughs> mother. I'll block Lesnar to you right now, you. And and I was really kind of like the way he did it, almost like dismissing me. You know, I was almost like, all right, you little turd, right? <laughs> Come here, I'll pick you over my shoulders and snap <laughs> yeah. you in half like a freaking pencil. And you know, you, you know, I don't. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> You know what's funny is that, like, I, I remember I, I had a poster of Guns N' Roses, and it was just all the guys, and they all, like, Slash had the bottle of Jack. Yeah. I think, like, Axel had a beer. I think Duff had maybe a beer, and Izzy had, like, a bottle of something. And Steven Adler had a can of Pepsi. And I remember me and my friend are like, oh, look at Oh, that must be the nerd in the band. Like we were, yeah, we didn't know, we didn't know anything. We're like, look, he's not even drinking booze. He's drinking Pepsi. You know, come to find out, he's the biggest heroin yeah. junkie of the band. Unfortunately, but I remember like, there, there was there was a comedian at the time on the Tonight Show or something. He goes, "Yeah, the drummer of Guns N' Roses got kicked out of the band for doing too much heroin." And he goes, "How much heroin <laughs> are we doing that we're getting kicked out of Guns N' Roses for doing too much heroin?" Right. right. Well, I think so. He uh, sued them, right? He sued them for these publishing rights off of Appetite, and he got a big shoot right. from Axel oh. personally, I think, because Axel had so much of the public. Good point. So I think there's probably still, you know. Yeah, good point. And, and his mom wrote a book. You know, anytime someone's mom gets involved, you're like, oh, God. all right, yeah. all right, let's have enough of this. As we continue along, we flip-flop. To, this is a great kind of a matchup here. Live and Let Die versus uh, Knocking on Heaven's Door, a battle of the two covers. And Guns N' Roses have never been uh, afraid to do covers both on album and on tour last tour. They were doing Glenn Campbell songs and yeah. Pink Floyd songs. And it's like obscure who songs like what are you guys doing black hole sun, black hole sun. Yeah. yeah. But like, I think, I think, uh, what was it called? The, the County of the Watchmen or whatever the, the or whatever the Glenn Campbell song that they were doing. It's like w- Wichita County. Wichita, line, oh, yeah. I am the watchman. Yeah. yeah. Wichita lineman, that's it. It's like, what are you doing? Uh, Joe, you kick this one off, the Battle of the Covers. Live and Let Die, just because it's, I don't know, Heaven's Door, it's it's good and all, but I think it can drag a little on the record and live. They play very long now, you know? But Live and Let Die is like yeah. just 
kicking ass the whole time. And I just, again, the music videos, I remember the music video well and everything like that. But I just think this song just fit Guns N' Roses better than Heaven's Door, you know, which they, they started playing because I believe um, it was a roadie or somebody in the band died while they were on tour and, you know, 87 or 88. Mm. So the first time they played it was in tribute to this guy. And then they kept it going through the years. So it, it was obviously important to them. But I just I just like Live and Let Die a little bit better. What do you think, Frankie? Live and Let Die, uh, mostly because I like Paul McCartney better and I like Bob Dylan. I And again, yeah, Live and Let Die is punchier and this, their take on it when it kicks in. Fla-na-na, fla-na-na, it's just so good. And the music video. And uh, Not Gonna Have a Door, their, their take on that song is excellent. But just Live and Let Die has more energy. And Joe, like you said, it just fits it fits Guns N' Roses more so than the other song. Yeah, it's a trifecta for me. I was never uh, a big Dylan fan, especially not knocking on Heaven's Door. I find the song boring. Uh, even to this day with Guns, it's it's a skipper for me. Uh, even live, it's like I'm just not excited by it. It's just not one of my favorites. Whereas Live and Let Die, like Frankie said, I, I'm a huge Beatles fanatic. But just the song alone, I don't care. If, if, if Bob Dylan did Live and Let Die, I would love it. And, and they do such a great job of it. Uh, it's funny because... If you guys have ever seen Decline of the Western Civilization Part 2, Lizzie Borden, which is a, a great band from the 80s that I listened to a lot, did a heavy version of Live and Let Die. And Guns N' Roses kind of not copied it, but their version is much closer to Lizzie Borden's version than it is to, to uh, Paul's version. Yeah, Because yeah. it does lend itself to that. And it's just it, it's it's a very powerful song to this day. So I'll go with Live and Let Die. Uh, something else I want to point out is there's eight singles total from this record, which in this day and age is just ridiculous. But three of them are from one and five of them are from two. Just as a trivia note, Don't Cry, Live and Let Die, and November Rain are from two, one. You Could Be Mine, Knocking on Heaven's Door, Yesterday's Civil War, and Estranged uh, were from number two. So That's crazy. Little little interesting factoid there plus they had the power at the time where you know normally a song will get cut for the radio and then they're releasing november rain and estranged as singles yeah you know right so long i mean we'll get to those when they get there but uh okay so then we go to bad obsession uh versus get in the ring what do you think joe in this case i prefer bad obsession it's funny because they it's a good match because they're both aggressive you know vulgar songs and everything like that get in the ring I think everyone remembers the part where it's like spoken word actuals just calling out all the guys from the press that he, that have pissed him off and everything like that. Bob Guccione, you junior from Spain, <laughs> pissed off because your dad is more pussy than you. So as a kid, everyone that I knew like knew all the words to that and would of course sing along because why wouldn't you? But uh, I, I like Bait Obsession a lot. I remember seeing them do it live, not now, but you know from old concerts and stuff, and it's it really really kicks ass. I I would hope that they would bring it back. You know, it would fit you know, the band currently and the way actual singing and everything like that do it. Yeah. I like bait obsession a lot. So I'll go, I'll go with that. I like the harmonica and the bass in there. Uh, I'm going to go with get in the ring just because if you go back to, to the, you know, I'm going to say it a lot, but when buying number two first on cassette and listening to it, in my car, finally, when get in the ring came on, I was like, okay, finally, we've got a riff song like, and, and it's punchy and I didn't really know what it was about. And then once again, not knowing and hearing this vicious, just terrible tirade, vile tirade on rock and roll magazines. And I want yeah. you guys listening to think about this and, and we can comment like rock and roll magazines were the pipeline 
of information and for promotion. There was no internet or any of that stuff. So he's going out there and basically telling every magazine to fuck off and not caring because we're Guns N' Roses. We're so big. What are you going to do? Not put us on your cover? And I just thought like the balls to do that was just massive for me. Yeah, because he's calling out like what Spin and Hip Parader or like and like those are people don't understand how giant those magazines were. Like you said, like that was how you got every bit of information. Like those those magazines were giant. The spoken word tirade, and I'll go through it quickly. That goes for all you punks of the press that want to start shit by printing lies instead of the things we said. That means you, Andy Setcher and Hit Parader. He's calling them up by name. <laughs> Circus so cool. Circus magazine Mick Wall at Kerrang. Kerrang is huge. You know, Bob Cuccioni at Spin would be pissed off because your dad gets more pussy than you because <laughs> Bob Guccione Sr. owned Penthouse Magazine. Yep. He goes, F you, suck my F and dick. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even say those words. Oh, yeah. You'll, you'll be ripping off the kids, uh, paying their hard-earned money to read about the bands they want to know about, printing lies, starting controversy. You want to antagonize me? And Here's my favorite part. He goes, you want to antagonize me? Antagonize, antagonize me, motherfucker. Mother- and then he goes, get in the ring, motherfucker. I'll kick your bitchy little ass. And then he goes, punk. <laughs> <laughs> but he sounds legit mad yeah. when he's doing As it. As if it wasn't enough to tell all this terrible things that at the end just going, punk. <laughs> and I'll say one more thing about the song that I just loved. And I heard it and noticed it right off the bat. And keep in mind, this came out right when I was in my first year of wrestling. So this was the Driving Across Canada album. I know where you're going with this, I think. You know exactly what I'm going to say. And in this corner... Weighing in at 850 pounds, Guns N' Roses. Now, once again, there's six guys in the band. (laughs) That's 141.6 pounds each. Yep. Not exactly the most threatening of of, of guys. (laughs) Me being a young wrestling fan at the time, I'm used to like one tag team coming to the ring and Howard Fico going at a combined weight of 583 pounds. Yeah, yeah. like these two dudes almost weigh as much as the entire GNR band. Like <laughs> I think the Twin Towers probably were, you know, Akeem and Big Boss member probably topping about seven fifty around there right. themselves. So, but uh, just great stuff. Just a great, great tune. One of my favorites uh, on both of the records is "Get in the Ring." What do you think, Frankie? Same thing. "Get in the Ring" is one of my favorites. I love it. Uh, it's a fight back song. It's like he sounds. They, there's anguish, and he sounds the lyrics and the music. It sounds like he's frustrated, angry, and he's lashing out. Uh, it's got some of my favorite lyrics. Well, other than the diatribe that he says in the middle of it. Right. But, uh, but uh, why do you look at me when you hate me? Why should I look at you when you make me hate me too? Hmm. Like, dude, uh, it, being in the business world, we can relate to that. Sure. You know, and like, uh, I don't like you. I just hate you. I'm going to kick your ass. Like, it's just so, <laughs> just so straightforward. I love that. I love yeah. that. Just good. One of my, one of my absolutely favorite songs. Bad Obsession. I love the harmonica. I love how yeah. the I love how the guitar, the riff mimics what the harmonica just did, uh, and it sounds like a Skinner song. Yeah, which is cool. It sound it almost sounds like a Leonard Skinner song. Just a good jam, cool song. But uh, get in the ring. That's top notch GNR for me. And one last note. Uh, I'm assuming it's Slash, who's just I don't know. He's just loaded at the end, and the song is dedicated to all the Guns and Roses fans stuck through us through all the effing shit. And Phil's all opposed. Well. And it's just, I don't know where that came from. Did they tell him to say that? Did he just grab the mic at the end and go, hey, yeah. uh, just still in the throes of heroin and Jack Daniels and 
just brilliant all, yep. all the way across yep. the board. So that's the epitome of rock and roll, man. Like, that's yes, just that's it. it exactly. Exactly. Uh, then we go to uh, back off bitch versus shotgun blues. I'll go with back off bitch. I love the verse of this song. It almost doesn't fit the chorus. I, I think it's really, really cool. Shotgun blues to me is, 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 is a filler. It's a throwaway. It's why don't we do it in the road? Here's a riff and just play it for two minutes and, and let's move on. If I was going to pare the record down, which we will do later, uh, spoiler alert, this one will not be on it, uh, Shotgun Blues. So I'll go back off bitch on that one. What do you think, Frankie? Back off bitch, hands down. Again, sounds like, you know, it could have been the missing track on Appetite. Shotgun Blues does nothing for me. Like you said, filler, yeah. it's just kind of there. It's like they had this they had this song, they laid it down. I said, well, let's put it on. You know, it's just kind of dead. Yeah, 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 you know? yeah. So yeah, Back exactly. Off Bitch by a landslide. What do you think, Joe? Back off, bitch was always a favorite. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me, but no, I, I always liked it <laughs> a lot. And uh, I, I think that was pre, or it was around Appetite. It almost made uh, Appetite for Destruction, just like You Could Be Mine was from back in those days. But I think when you think back to the Axl Rose Vince Neil feud, you know, I think people expected Get in the Ring to be kind of about Vince, and it wasn't. Right. I, I did read that there were supposed to be lines taking shots at Vince in Shotgun Blues, which again goes after the press too. If you remember one of the later verses, it's almost uh, the same thing again. While you're ripping off the children, somebody's effing your wife. That so all that Jeez. fun stuff. So yeah, he must have really read a couple articles that really made him angry. Oh man, you know, yeah. oh man, just Axel, Axel the hothead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny because because it's a famous. Uh, you can actually listen to it online. The famous night when. Uh, I was on the Eddie Trunk show with Sebastian and Scott Ian, and Axel called in because Sebastian was trying to get him to call in. And I remember he held up his, dude, you're on the Eddie Trunk show. And he holds up his phone to the microphone, and it's like, you can't hear anything. And and Eddie goes, just have him call me. And I'm like, as if Axel Rose is going to call you. And he calls. And then Eddie goes, well, if you're around, come to the studio. As if Axel Rose is coming to the studio. Boom. 30 minutes later, he comes in the studio. And we just had the best time just talking about Iron Maiden. And I could go into all the stories that we told, Blackie Lawless and Great White stories and all this other stuff. But he was super chill and the nicest guy ever. And we went out afterwards to a club called The Bungalow where Lindsay Lohan was waiting in line. And we didn't have to because we were with Axl Rose. <laughs> and had nothing but a, a, nothing but good things to say about the guy. And you can only treat people on how they treat you, as we all know. And uh, I was like, wow, this is the hothead that everyone's afraid of? Two nights later, he gets in a fight with Calvin Klein. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. I'm like, okay. There's the yin and yang of Axl Rose right there. That's cool. Yeah. At, least you got, at least you got the yin or the yang, whichever. You yeah, yeah. the good part, yeah. Okay, so then Double Talk and Jive versus Breakdown. That's a tough one. Yeah. I'm going to go with Breakdown. Double Talk and Jive, I like a lot. And Breakdown's like slower. It almost starts off like country slow rock kind of stuff but the, the lyrics to me were so good that i'll give it the nod in that one and uh they still play double talk and jive live which is which is excellent they brought it back when slash and duff came back but i, I would go with breakdown yeah and, and once again double talk and jive is a, is a izzy song and breakdown's a total axel song yeah frank what do you think between these two double talk and jive for me the drum intro is awesome it's a great song live a lot of energy. I like the flamenco guitar at the end. That part's cool. Yeah. Breakdown is that sounds to me more like a jam. It sounds just like like that was just kind of like a jam that they just again put on the record. Like it doesn't 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 come across as a song. It's just cause like a like a jam. You know, it's uh 
Right. And it doesn't move the needle much for me. It's it's cool, like all GNR songs are, but Double Talk and Jive, I I really especially live. I like that song live when they play it. It's interesting. When when we toured with Slash a couple of years ago, it was just a short tour, but it was a seven or eight shows or whatever it was, and they had just started doing double talk and jive in their set. And I was really kind of like, really? Of all the songs to do, that's the one you do. And then after watching it, I realized, okay, I get it. It's it's a it's a guitar showcase for Slash. Yeah, yeah. Because I never really rated it on on one uh, with with the record. Now, once again, going back to the Jericho story, which we all know. Think about where I'm at driving in my car when it's been Civil War 14 is yesterday, knocking on heaven's door. Finally, getting the ring comes on. Yes, Shotgun Blues, nothing really there, and then it's breakdown, and it's a long song. It's seven minutes long. I was like. This album sucks. <laughs> right. This is terrible. Right. <laughs> now I, I I like Breakdown not as much as I like the other two longer songs, which we'll get going, which I also hated when they first came out. <laughs> so originally I probably would have been dead set. Both of them are, are not great. I like Breakdown a lot more now than I did then, but Double Talk and Jive too, because once again, much like Fear of the Dark by Iron Maiden, it's not a song I loved until they started playing it live. And then I really started to understand how great of a song it was. Right. So yep. I'll go... Uh, I'll go with uh, with with the jive. Then we got "Don't Damn Me" versus "Pretty Tied Up." Who's gonna take that one? "Pretty Tied Up" is uh, "Don't Damn Me's Rose Slash" and Dave Lank, uh, the the great songwriter Dave Lank, and <laughs> and "Pretty Tied Up," which in uh, brackets it says "The Perils of Rock and Roll Decadence." That's part of the song title. And that's an Izzy tune. Yeah. What do you think, Joe? Yeesh. I'll go. I like Don't Damn Me a lot, too. And it's it's never been played live. So it's like a really like, uh, you know, unrecognized track and pretty tied up. Used to be a staple. And it, like you said, it's a great Izzy song. Might be returning any day now. You know, it's been on the. We've the seen set. it on the alternate uh, songs. Alternate, yeah. yeah. And they, they've rehearsed it and things like that. So hopefully it does. You know, I think I think what we'll find is, you know, Breakdown was Axel. Don't Damn Me was Axel. I, I seem to gravitate towards his his songs and his writing and stuff. And uh, Don't Damn Me is an Axel song. And again, the lyrics uh, is what really pulled me in on that one. And uh, if, like if you read them, they're excellent. Excellent. Mm-hmm. I think it's too hard to probably sing live, but I, I'll go Don't Damn Me. Frankie? Don't Damn Me. Uh, again, sounds like a song that could have been on Appetite. It's got that same feel. Real catchy. There's a real cool time change uh, towards the end of the song. And then, like at the very end of it, it sounds like did you go like, all right, that sucked. Like at the very there's like, <laughs> yeah. just spoken. It's just funny. You go, like, yeah. All right, that sucked. Like that's so good. Like I love stuff like that. Um, yeah, pretty tied up is cool. It's got a real catchy chorus. Like the music and the melody, all like pretty tied up. It all does the same thing. That's mm-hmm. cool. I like that. But don't damn me. Like, it just I'm such a gigantic appetite for destruction fan that this sounds like just a continuation of what they were going for with that first album. So don't damn me. Damn it. I'll be the contrarian in that uh, once again, pretty tied up after, a, a, you know, the track list that I was telling you about when it came through, I was like, okay, once again, this is a riff tune. And yeah. I'm, a, I also want to point out that Duff McKagan is one of the most underrated bass players of all time. Couldn't agree more. Right. Nobody ever really talks about him, about being a great player, but his bass lines are so great. And this is a perfect example. There's a little bass kind of solo at the beginning intro. Uh, I love the kind of little sitar thing. And also what Axel does on this song, he might've done it on Appetite and other songs, but this is the first one I ever noticed the low end Axel stacked with the high end Axel Mm -hmm. where he goes like pretty tired up, pretty tired up. Like there's, it goes together and you can hear that. 
And I, I love kind of the the pre-chorus. Like it's it's really, really well written. And it's very, very rocking, kind of an oasis in the middle of this album that definitely needed more than one listen. Sure. And don't don't damn me is good, but I find for me, Usual Illusion One has quite a lot of those songs. Don't damn me and Bad Obsession, and you know we've spoke about a few of them, uh, Double Talk and Jive and Back Off Bitch, and it's they're all kind of like rockers. But Pretty Tied Up stands out to me as something very special. And I hope they do play it live because I've never seen them play that. And we were right. talking, Joe, earlier about how it's pretty much the same set list as the last reunion tour. If they threw in one or two pretty tied up type tunes, I would definitely, I mean, I'm going anyways, but I would definitely yeah. go just to see that. It's funny about this fan base that, uh, you know, there's there's really hardcore fans and then there's casual fans. And there's, so when you go to the show, they might throw in a song that you're not crazy about. You know, and but there's like this group of people here or behind you. They're like, "Yes, Dead yeah. Horse." I'm yeah. like, "Yeah, really? Yeah. Like, nobody likes Dead Horse? I didn't know that." You know. Well, they've also got so many songs that are hits that they have to play, and it's the same thing that we talk about with Kiss or with Ozzy or with anything. Like, I wish they'd play some more album tracks. And like Paul always says, well, "Where are we gonna? What song are we gonna take out to put in? You know, the Oath. Tell me, you can take out Love Gun to do that. And so, what are they gonna do? Take out Sweet Child of Mine to play Pretty Tied Up? You know, it might be." Right. Exactly. Kind of, but then again, they play 40 songs a night anyway, so whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's a great, the one-two punch uh, from Pretty Tied Up going straight into Locomotive, which in parentheses is Complicity. And this is, if you put your gun to my head, this is my favorite Guns N' Roses song of all time. It's the uh, Versus the Garden featuring Alice Cooper. I'll get that out of the way. It's okay. Not a huge fan it's not what I expect from Guns N' Roses and, and whatever, whatever, but it could be the greatest song in the world because it's going up against Locomotive. The opening drum intro, the slimy riff of Slash that is so good, um, the solos in between, the complexity of it, the the outro with that crazy piano. Elton John yep. piano playing I could listen to that and then of course a little Duff bass part oh, yeah. and then yeah. a riff and also too this is a great example of the guitar chemistry of Izzy and Slash weaving in and out of the parts you might say what part does Izzy play he might even be playing that riff because there's a lot of other shit going on behind it and intertwining with it if if you had to play a Guns N' Roses song for an alien this is probably the one that I might choose just to show kind of the whole breath of Guns N' Roses, of what they are. And to me, if they played this live, I would buy three tickets and go to three different shows because I just want to see it. And once again, another great low vocal, high vocal from Axel. So I know I've been talking a lot, but that's that's what I got. So what do you think, Joe? Um, locomotive by far. Like when I, I've done a couple of podcasts with friends or whatever where it's like your top five songs and locomotives always... It's not in my like it's one of my favorites, but there's like a five slot that changes a lot and locomotives in there a lot. Are you talking about top five Guns N' Roses songs or top five songs? Top five Guns N' Roses songs. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. And uh they did play it live a little bit. They the did. Last, yeah. Like they would play it in place of coma, which is fine by me because I've yeah. seen coma and you know It's long too. Locomotive's yeah. like about eight minutes long. Yeah. So hopefully they bring it back. And I know Slash, from what I've read and everything, really enjoys playing it live. So hopefully that's that'll get it done. But yeah, Locomotive, for sure, for sure. The Garden 
is okay. I remember it had a music video and I had heard the album a million strange, times yeah. by the time it came out. I was like, why'd they pick the guard? You know? So, but locomotive is, is excellent. Excellent. Also too, slash told me that, that they didn't play it for the longest time because Axel said it was very hard to sing. Oh, There's yeah. a lot of words in short periods and not a lot of breath. And as a singer, I totally get that. That's why I was so surprised when they did play it live yeah. because it is very hard to sing. It's very high as well uh, in certain parts. Uh, what do you think, Frankie? If you would have asked me this question when I was listening to these records, when I was an idiot, 13-year-old, 14-year-old kid, I would have said the garden. Because I back then, like I was a huge fan of the the song Poison and the record that came out when, when Alice came back. I, lo- I thought Alice Cooper was so cool. And Alex Cooper appears on the on the garden. Obviously, that's I don't know if we've mentioned that. Yes, he does. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if we if anyone had said that. Yeah. And I just I I th- I thought Alice Cooper was the coolest dude ever. So I just the garden. I, I really dug it. But appreciating different aspects of music and getting older, and Locomotive is just a rocker. And like you said, that that piano outro is just so so cool, just so wild. It's just it's just a a badass song. Uh, but I do like the garden. That was one of my, for years as a younger man, you know, as your taste change, that was one of my favorite tracks. And I just, cause I like the way Axel and, uh, and Alice play off each other. But locomotive is a, is a, is a kick-ass song. And like you guys both said, it's, it's a top GNR song. It belongs in that category, but I'm not going to discount the garden, but we'll get to that later. Talking about our ultimate illusion list. There might be a, somebody might be getting the old, heave ho so <laughs> but uh both good tracks locomotive for all the reasons you guys said i have nothing else to add killer song just let me just do i just kind of looked up while frankie was saying that what how many videos there was from these albums and dude check this out i didn't even know there was some videos for this you could be mine don't cry live and let die november rain yesterday's estranged dead horse garden of eden Bad apples and the garden. There was a video for the garden. There's a video for Dead yeah. Horse. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Is it live? Is it an official release? It's an official release. Yeah. It's like uh, it's like a mix of live footage. Gotcha. But that's ten videos <laughs> and eight singles from these records. Jeez. Tell me they weren't huge hits. Oh god. Yeah. Then we go to Garden of Eden versus So Fine, and um, why don't you start, Joe? I'll go Garden of Eden on this one. The video is very humorous. It's just, it's like one fishbowl camera shot. Axel's face is right up in there. They're all playing around him. And even Dizzy and Teddy, the harmonica guy in the background, just dancing. <laughs> it's it's a fun rock song. It really is. And uh, that's something that would you would probably never see appear live because it's just, Axel yeah. never stops the whole song. It's very fast. Very punky. Yeah, very punky. So fine, I, I like, and I hope they put it in that Duff slot again. They did it like one time. You know, and and now he's playing a, a Stooges cover in his slot. But I'd like to see them bring So Fine back. I think that's one of those songs that would get an unexpected pop from the crowd. Like, oh, it's So Fine. But uh, I just, I prefer Garden of Eden out of the two. I think So Fine was dedicated to Johnny Thunders. Johnny Thunders. From, yep. Right. And yeah. I was I was never a uh, New York Dolls guy. And, and also, too, I did not like this song when it first came out, but it's really good. And it gets really rocky. Once again, it's very Stones. You can, this this is actually the type of tune, and Frankie, you might agree with me on this, that Keith Richards would sing yeah. for the Stones. Yes. It's kind of yes. got that... You mentioned the Garden of Eden video. Well, Joe, watch the Judas video. Oh, right, right, The right. Judas video is a cross between No More Tears from Ozzy 
and Garden of Eden, that I'm in the forefront, all the guys are in the back, that's the Guns N' Roses, and it's a one-camera shot, all done live, no edits. And the and the other thing is that we filmed it at half speed, so that's where you get kind of the fast mo- movements like Ozzy did. With the, right. Like if you're filming at half speed, if it's a four-minute song, and it, it goes to eight minutes, so you're singing very low, I've become, I've become, I've become, and, and when you go back to normal speed every motion is like this so yeah. it's a combination of those two videos direct ripoff cool, actually yeah. so um but i gotta go with garden of Eden as well just because i just love the, the attitude of it and um once again it, it jumped out right at me where so fine was a grower not a shower so garden of eden is what i got frank i'm going so fine again garden of eden's cool uh, uh, right back to their punk roots it gets a little bit redundant uh, lost in the garden of Eden, lost in the yeah, 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 yeah. So fine. Again, like I was saying, I'll get to earlier. Sounds like a stone song, dude. And it's, I mean, it's, it's written and sung by Duff. And yeah, I could picture Mick or Keith singing this song. Like next time you guys, like it sounds like it, like they, like they covered a Rolling Stones song. And, and I just have, I have such a connection to the stones and this song always reminded me of that. And I, I thought it was, it was cool that Duff was like, oh, he could sing cool too. And he plays yeah. a killer bass. So that always resonated with me. So I'm going so fine. Interesting too. I mentioned Locomotive being my my all-time favorite GNR song. It's one of the only three songs on either of these records written just by Axel and Slash. And the other one is Garden of Eden. And the third one is Coma. And oh, wow. the rest of the songs are written by everybody else wow. or combinations of it. Which you would think like it's it's Axel and Slash. That's Keith and Mick. And it's, you know, yep. you think that they would be writing together, but it's not necessarily the case for yep. that so you know one thing we may uh, i'm like 90 percent sure on this we may have missed i know that uh dell james yes partially wrote yesterday's That's right, right? Yeah. dell has a couple he was on yesterday's and he was and also on in the garden yeah in the garden yeah okay and dell's been there for years and if you guys are big jericho fans dell's act dell is actually the guy that helped me get on the world peace festival uh the show that antonio Noki had in the summer of 96 that indirectly got me hired uh, in WCW. Wow. So Dell had a little bit of influence in that. So he used to write short stories and I loved his horror short stories. I think this is pre anything of guns and roses. And now he's, I believe each of the stage manager, or maybe he's Axel's day to day, or he's very hype in the organization. So shout out to, to Dell. Now here's another little, uh, Tarantino esque switching of the set list track list to it's the battle of the giant epic, ballads of november rain versus estranged and i'll let frankie start this off for me it's november rain i mean what what can you say about this song that like like the the music video was a game changer yes good call absolute game changer how how many solos are there is there three solos four solos in this song every one of them is good just the scene of slash walking out of the big church and when he walks out, it's the tiny church, and he just kicks that solo. Dude, goosebumps still. So that's just so ingrained in me. Uh, Estranged, I only started really appreciating that song in the last five to seven years. Agreed. That was a fast forward or a skip back in the day immediately. Agreed. I, I really just was like, oh, come on with this. Like, enough. <laughs> you know, it's so long. Like, obviously, this, this, these albums, the band creatively were going in different directions. And I yes. think this yeah. song is a perfect example of this kind of, this kind of sounds like 
what Axel wanted to do with bringing in like the backup singers and like and like yes. charts and and pianos and every you know and it just it's never clicked with me. Whereas November Rain, along with millions of other people, just it's as close to a perfect song as you can get. So it's November Rain for me. Joe, I, I gotta go estranged, and that's that's a tough tough call. But estranged is like always my number one. We talk about a set list kind of remains the same because they have so many hits yeah. they started playing this again in like 2012 and uh i remember the first time i heard it like oh my god that's back i thought you're never gonna hear it again live you know it's probably my favorite song of anything of all time and uh but it's so uh, i said in the text i'm like don't put those two against each yeah, other yeah. Oh, what am i gonna do but I, I gotta go with estranged still happy to see it played live but november rain of course is absolutely timeless and classic and it's funny because you'll hear people play it at weddings or play the or, or the piano part at the beginning at weddings. And I'm like, yeah, but the bride gets killed in the video. <laughs> right, right. Should be playing this right now? Like, so uh, that's a classic. Hopefully they never drop that. I love seeing that live. But Estranged is, is a special song to me. Frankie brought up a great point of the video for November Rain being a game changer. And it really was because as I'm thinking about it, it almost looks like Kill Bill. Like it was it was directed by Tarantino on that little church. And it just has that type of vibe yeah. to it for me. I think it's interesting because I was much like you, Frank, in that I did not really appreciate a strange until I got older. Mm -hmm. And once again, with the blue album, it's just, it was another, both these songs are written solely by Axel and they're both nine minutes long. One's a little bit shorter than nine. One's a little bit longer. Just think about the pull he had to come in with two nine minute piano ballads and everyone went, all right. Yeah. <laughs> sure. And they're both singles. Yep. Yep. Yeah. November Rain falls in the category of You Shook Me All Night Long and Enter Sandman. Crazy Train. And Pour Some Sugar on Me and Crazy Train and, you know, Detroit Rock City. I've heard it so many times. I never want to hear it again until I hear it again. And I go, this thing's a masterpiece. Right. 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 You know, and, and Estrange is a great tune. But November Rain, it is Axel playing Elton John in the modern age. Here's the kicker for me. Much like Locomotive, that outro section, it's a very Beatlesque thing. We've got this little piece of music. It's only a minute and a half, two minutes long. What do we do with it? Put it on the end of Locomotion. Locomotive, sorry. Put it on the end of November Rain. And Slash has one of the most epic, classic guitar solos of all time with this very piano-based outro, much like Locomotive. So I, I, I got to go with November Rain, the video, which Frank mentioned, I, I had kind of forgotten how epic it is. And I'll probably never, ever play it on my own. As a matter of fact, the other day I was kickboxing and it came on the shuffle and I couldn't stop. And I was like, I can't get to the thing. Yeah. And then by the time the three minute round was over, I was like, I'm not fording this song. It's amazing. Yep. What am I thinking? <laughs> So uh, definitely one of the all-time classics. And I think it also, too, really distanced Guns N' Roses from the Welcome to the Jungle guys. It really made them official stadium headline bands where everybody could realize the genius of this tune. Yep. Agreed. Both music videos were epic, too. And November Rain, everyone. I think it has over a billion views on YouTube at this point. It was one of those ones that a goes over a billion views. Yeah. <laughs> but Estranged was after November Rain. It was another epic. And you're like, oh, geez. Well, how are we going to top November Rain now? Like, what are we going to do? Right. And then they have Axel jump off an aircraft carrier into the ocean. <laughs> and then a helicopter come to save him and Slash comes out of the water. And he's walking on water, playing his solo like uh, Jesus. You know, I forgot it was about that. that yeah. It was so. The pomp and circumstance yeah. had gone through the window 
at that point. Yeah, they were because they were trying to beat November Rain, I yeah. guess, and they just went over the top. You can't but beat I it. still, I still love it. You know. And then, oh, don't forget Axel swimming with the dolphins at the end. Too. Of course, so, <laughs> makes friends with dolphins. Shout out to uh, shout out to our friend Ricky Rackman for the uh, little cameo in the November Rain video. Oh, Good yeah, call. Yeah, he's, he's in the yeah. wedding, right? He does when 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 everything starts pouring rain. He dives over the table or whatever. He's yeah. <laughs> I love that too about how there's this nice wedding that just starts with the rain and everyone just starts freaking out, pouring, <laughs> trashing yeah. shit, you know? Yeah, and somebody's dead, they're in a coffin. Like, a, it's very dark. Oh, yeah. Where yeah. you're like, I just want to drink and get stoned and listen to some rock and roll. I don't want to see Axel at a funeral and the wedding's yeah. getting destroyed. But it also, like, there's a quick little scene in there where they're all like hanging out at the, uh, at the rainbow. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's cool, man. Cause like I've, I've been there. Like I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, you can see that. Yeah. All right. Moving on as we get towards the end is bad apples versus you could be mine. I'll start bad apples. Another great, like I said, it's another great seven to eight out of 10 song on, on number one. I love uh, the chorus. One bad apple spoils the whole damn bunch. I sing that all the time, either to myself or in real life. If something, if somebody mentions bad apple, it's been 30 years. Oh, yeah, the guys, that kid's a bad apple. And I was like, one bad apple spoils the whole damn bunch. And my wife will say, what does that mean? I'm like, nothing, nothing. <laughs> yeah, that kid is a bad apple. He's a bad seed. But you could be mine. It's one of the all-time classic GNR songs. And like I mentioned earlier, just tied in with the Arnold movie and the great video. And, and to this day, it's got one of those drum intros like rock and roll or run of the hills where you know exactly what it is right from and it also was a great introduction to their new drummer matt sorum who did a great job with guns and roses uh after playing with the cult and all those other bands he was in as well so i gotta go with you could be mine frank for me and this changes all the time my top two favorite guns and roses songs are either in this order you could be mine and rocket queen and those flip flop. Mm. So mm. obviously I'm picking this just for all the reasons you mentioned that uh, intro with the drums and the bass. And, and like you were talking about Duff earlier, come with that little, that little walking. Doo, 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 doo. It's so cool, bum, man. Bum, bum, yep. Yep. The T2 connection, the video, uh, the video is so cool. This the, the high speed chase with Arnold and the T just everything about it's cool. Arnold stalking Guns N' Roses. <laughs> like I said, maybe my favorite Guns N' Roses song ever. So, uh, not to discount bad apples. It's cool. Good groove. But again, for me on this record, it's just kind of there. But for the reasons of doing this podcast head to head by a landslide, you could be mine. And with your bitch slap rapping and your cocaine yes. tongue, you get cocaine nothing tongue. done. What just <laughs> so cool. Like this, like it's so much attitude, like in the same way that in getting the ring where he's just spitting venom. I love that. Yes. And once again, that lyric was actually in the liner notes for Appetite for Destruction. Sure was. Yep. Right. Which I was always wondering what that meant. And then when it came out, it was kind of like a little Easter egg where you're like, oh, we're rewarded for being fans by having them use that line yeah. you know, yep. later right. on. What do you think, Joe? You could be mine by far. I mean, again, like we've said throughout the show, it was an intro to them coming back. It was an intro to the new records. It was had the Terminator connection. Uh, the video was cool. And uh, another cool thing was that they used it again in a later Terminator that wasn't as highly regarded as two. It was the one with Christian Bale. He starts playing it in the desert to distract like one of the Terminators or something. But it was cool to see them bring it back, you know, yeah. and keep that uh, connection together. But yeah, You Could Be Mine is, a, is one of the great Guns N' Roses songs. And uh, Bad Apples, I, I like it, but it's at the end of Usual Illusion 1. It's, I think it kind of got tucked away and forgotten for me. But yeah, You Could Be Mine by far on that one. Uh, and then we get down to uh, Dead Horse versus Don't Cry. 
Um, Joe, why don't you take that one too? You now, this would be Don't Cry version two, because that's the one that's on Usual Illusion two, right? I mean, it's pretty much the same, just a little bit different. They're we'll a little go bit with different. The original version, because like uh, we'll go with the one that they made a yes, video of yeah. and, and and was on the radio. Yeah, because we're because they cancel out. Okay. So we'll just use one version of Don't Cry, and I I say use the original. Sure, the original definitely Don't Cry is the is the winner on that one. Uh, another one I was happy to see return to you know, the live uh, set list, which it, it comes and goes now. But I think it reminds me of what you said about November Rain, where it kind of starts out and you're like, oh, skip. It's kind of a slow one. I don't want to hear a slow song right now, but it eventually kicks in and kicks so much ass by the end that you, you brought, man, this song is, is excellent, you know? So, uh, yeah, I would go, don't, don't cry. I like Dead Horse. I'm glad to see them play it, but I would go with Don't Cry on this. I just uh, checked their set list, and they've now brought Wichita, Lion Man, and The Seeker, the obscure Who song, back into the oh, set. Boy. Don't Cry didn't make it, though. I uh, Dead Horse, to me, is one of those ones I didn't even really remember it until I listened to it back, and I don't like the Sick of This Life intro, not a fan of it, so it wasn't hard for me to choose Don't Cry. But check this out. To me, Don't Cry is the one that got away for Guns N' Roses. I think this song is such a well-written song. I think it's massive in its chorus, the hooks. But because there was so many great songs in this record, it was almost an embarrassment of riches. They couldn't give it enough time to really grow. Like if this had been a single, if this song came out like now or 1989, it would be as big as, as, as Sweet Child of Mine. Maybe not quite as big, but it's that realm of tune. Now it's not even in the set. <laughs> Wichita Lineman is in the set and Don't Cry is not in the set. And I, I just remember thinking like, what a waste of a, of a classic song. It's like doing like a top rope powerbomb in the middle of a match and never reference it again. It's like, what do you, whoa, 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 don't keep going. I want more of this. And um, I just really love that tune. And I'm really kind of surprised as to how unimpactful its overall legacy is. And the one last thing I'll say is in the video, they have Shannon Hoon from Blind Melon in it. But they never introduced him, and you don't really know who it was. I thought it was Gary Holt from Exodus because I knew who Gary was. And I was like, why is the dude, the guitar player from Exodus, singing with Axel on this song? And then you read the rock and roll magazines three months later and find out some guy from a band called Blind Melon that I've never heard of. And then, of course, they come out afterwards. But, uh, but yeah, Don't Cry, one of the kind of underrated classics in their whole catalog, in my opinion. What was funny about that is you mentioned it's, it's potential and everything. Don't Cry was like their hit before they made it. So Don't Cry was like their big song before Appetite when they were playing live really? in L.A. And it was so uh, highly regarded by Shannon Hoon that his band covered it in like 86 before they were Blind Melon, whatever. And he actually recorded a cover of it, which is how Axel found him and brought him in because he was another he's an Indiana boy, you know, homeboy. So brought him in to sing the song with him because he wound up covering it off a bootleg. You oh, know, and that's wow. where you discovered Don't Cry. Yeah, that was their big song, like when they were just the live LA band. And then it uh, it didn't make Appetite, which if you think about it, if it made Appetite, I mean, how much it made the perfect record even better, you know? But uh, yeah. yeah, so that's where that's where Shannon Hume and Don't Cry came from. All right. And then we get to our final final here, which is probably not too much of a of a war, but it is uh, Coma uh, going head to head with uh, My World. And my world, once again, is totally, you know, uh, why don't we do it in the road? Wild honey pie of this album where it's a basic idea. Uh, it's about two minute and a half long of Axel doing some kind of rapping thing. And it's just more of like, it reminds me of Van Halen 
5150 uh, on the inside. It's like just this weird little thing that they stuck at the end of it that really doesn't fit anywhere else, and it's not really all that great, but I'll just stick it on the end of the record. Coma, uh, it's another, I think it's the longest Guns N' Roses song ever of being uh, 10 minutes long or whatever it is, and uh, it's got a great riff. It's far too long, but it's got a really cool ending, great solo at the end, and I always loved it too because at the time, like I said, I first started wrestling at this time, and we were wrestling a lot with a guy called Brett Como, and so I always used to go call it Como. We're going for a Como. <laughs> I don't think I wanna. And you know, sing it uh, about Brett Como. So um, uh, Coma, definitely cool. Very strange when they play it live because once again, it's ten minutes. You can play two or three songs in that place, but uh, they must like it. I mean, it must be one of the ones that Slash, like you said, Slash and Axel wrote it, and they must like it. So, what do you think, uh, Frank? So I barely even count my world as a song. I always, yeah, I you're always right. like, I agree. It was always so, I, I, when I heard it when I was younger, I was always just blown away. I was like, this is just weird. And then I yeah. was reading recently that I think Axel said that when they recorded it, everybody in the room was on mushrooms. I'm like, that makes oh, a yeah. lot of sense. So that makes oh. a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, of course, right? I really, really like Coma. I love the beginning with the heart rate sound beep, beep, and yeah. that, that, that's right great bass part yes exactly just kicks in and um the one detriment it is very long but uh if you had made if you you come out with like an edited like four or five minute version of the song i thought it could have been like a big hit and i i just love that uh that one line at the end he goes can somebody just tell me what the is going on on. god damn it yeah yeah i love that it gets very heavy at the end yeah Mm -hmm. And it's like, is somebody dying? And you can hear like the like, oh my God, put, 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 get the heart yeah, monitors yeah. on him. Axel, Axel, can you wake up? We're going to lose him. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's coma <laughs> for me by a long shot. Like I, my role was just like, I, I remember that song always made me mad. I was like, why is this song on the record? It's like, what is he doing? Why did you step yeah, in yeah, my yeah. world? Like, what? <laughs> when I first was coming up with the one and two, actually Joe had the idea, but obviously it's been on my list for a while of doing this as a classic album clash. I thought, well, this will be easy because there's 16 and 14. I'll just take freaking My World off. Meanwhile, My World's on the one that has the 14, yeah. so you can't get rid of it. But if it was on one, we, we'd definitely yep. be the one yep. that got kicked off. Unless Joe might like it. What do you think, Joe? No, Coma crushes My World. You know, My World, that's the scene. I was going to tell that story, Frankie, that that's what I had heard and read. Like, they were all on shrooms. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's your explanation for that. <laughs> Coma, it, it's long, but... Once you get past uh, like the the skits kind of where you know like you just said the heart monitors going off and they're using the paddles on somebody, then there's like a soft interlude, and then there's the last four minutes or whatever it is, and that is incredible. The outro, it's not even an outro because it could be its own song, but that's an incredible ending to the song and to the album. And uh, I was so surprised to see them start playing it live, and they played it for like three tours because I was like, well, it's just a you know a special thing for the fans. There's no way they're going to keep this up. And they kept it for such a long time, and it'll probably show up again. Just coma wins uh, out of that one, and that's it's a, it's another excellent epic song. So, two pieces of business to to do uh, now is 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 one out of Use Your Illusion one and Use Your Illusion two. Which album do you like better? And then we'll give our Super Illusion album where we have decided to take 14 or 15 tracks and combine them into one super album. So uh, out of the two, overall, number two is my favorite. Uh, much more mature now than I was 30 years ago. 
it, to me, it, to me, it's a, it's a tighter record, and every song seems a lot more worked on. Whereas I think of some of the ones on t- on one, like oh yeah, Bad Apples, that's a tune. Uh, Don't damn me, there's a song. Dead Horse, there's a song. Whereas you know, Breakdown is seven minutes long, and they had to really focus on that a little bit more. And then of course, it's got Locomotive, it's got Pretty Tied Up, and Get in the Ring, and you could be mine you should be mine you could be mine those are probably my four favorite tracks on the re- on both records besides november rain so i'm going with uh, use your illusion two which once again is the blue and purple one joe i'll go with two simply because to start it has locomotive and estranged on it i mean that, that right there yeah. but i think there's you know it's it's has less tracks there's less skip skippable tracks and uh yeah it's just tighter tighter as a record and if you know, usually one had a couple of songs clipped. Maybe I'd feel a little different, but it's t- tough to pick which ones. Uh, so, yeah, I think two, two is the winner out of those two. What do you think, Frankie? I'm going Use Your Illusion 1, which is strange because my favorite song is not on that. You Could Be Mine. That's like I, right. like I talked about earlier, maybe my favorite GNR song. And I think it's just ingrained in me. I think I've just listened to this record more. Uh, you guys both have valid points that two is the more mature polished kind of record but uh i find myself listening to this song to and and i have since i had these records even though i had the second one first i've listened to this much more and it just ingrained in me that i just there's songs that i like i I find myself skipping songs more on the on the on two than i do on this one but by the slightest margin they're both so good Mm -hmm. and and it's odd because i was i was asking myself like why 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 do you like one if your favorite song is on two? And I go just as a whole, side by side, I like one better. All right, well, let's get down to the uh, like we did super load. We'll now do uh, a, a super illusion, and I, I'm not sure if we talked about this, Joe. But we, when we pick our 14 songs, or I picked 14. I, I was I wanted to challenge myself. I actually put them in order of side one and side two, as if it was a real record. So yeah, yeah, I'll I'll go first with with that Let's one do it. if you guys are ready so yep. ultimate illusion by chris jericho and i created a spotify playlist for my super load so i'll do the same for this so if you guys want to find it cool. you, you can find it even though it's a pain in the ass but i'll do it just for you uh it starts off civil war then dustin bones yesterday's live and let die pretty tied up estranged and coma that's side one Side two is Locomotive, Don't Cry, Perfect Crime, Get in the Ring, Bad Apple, You Could Be Mine, and closes with November Rain. Very good. I thought that'd be a great album closer with the big epic thing yep. and they kind of so hard to argue. That's that's there you go. All right. It, it, listen, this is hard work. Like I spent far more time on this set list than I have on some matches that I've done. <laughs> Agonizing, like I was texting. I said, "This is agony, agonizing." Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe, why don't you go second? So list the ones from one first and the ones from two second because I have seven from each. So yeah, well, I put them in. I, I mix them in, up. And, if you and, notice, like like if you we were putting this record out, this would open the yeah. record. This would be the yeah. That's okay. Right okay. So uh, side one, uh, right next door to hell. Don't cry. Perfect crime. Bad obsession. November rain. Dead horse. Coma. And then side two, uh, 14 years, yesterday's, shotgun blues, pretty tied up, locomotive, you could be mine, estranged. Wow. So you put uh, shotgun blues made it. Shotgun blues made it. I just felt like 
it needed a rocker. I needed to have. Yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's a good. That's that's the super uh, illusion by Joe Feeney. Super illusion. And uh, take it home, Frankie. Super illusion by Frankie Kazarian. All right. So I did fifteen because I know we were on the fence about doing fourteen or fifteen. So right next door <laughs> to hell opens my record too because it's a great album opener. Uh, and we need we need Guns N' Roses attitude kick ass right out the door. So I got right next door to hell, followed by Civil War. Bring it down a little bit. Followed by Back Off Bitch. Bring it back up. Number four is November Rain, because on every Metallica album, Sans the first one. The fourth song <laughs> is the ballady or slow one. Yeah. You know, Fade to Black, uh, Unforgiven, Welcome Home Sanitarium. Totally. It's always the fourth song. So yeah, I'm getting way in the weeds. We hear it like, yeah. <laughs> okay, so then after that, we pick it up with Double Talk and Jive. Then we go live and let die because I was going to I had to include one cover since they decided to put a cover on both these albums on each record. So I'm yeah. like, well, I'm going to include one on mine. So I did live and let die. Then we go get in the ring, picks it back up. Don't cry. The original version. You could be mine. Then we're in the locomotive. Then don't damn me. I put bad obsession in there just to give that different feel that Skinner feel. Yeah. Yesterday's right after that. Then we go with a long one coma. And then I, I in the record for the exact same reason you said Jericho with Estranged, I closed it out with Estranged. Ah, that big, that big, big piano thing. That's a great way to, end the, you know, in the record. So yeah. Well, once again, I mean, y- you know, there's so much great material. And there's listen, you could call some of these songs filler, but you know, take out my world and a couple's. If there's 29 songs in this record, like 22 or 24, or 20, there's a lot of great shit on this. So I, I, we'll, we'll end off with this. What is your final thought on the Use Your Illusion records? And I'll, I'll, what, what my point is, like, you'll never see this again. Of what well, it's the biz- music business is so different now, but a band that is at the peak of their powers after one album, and then you've got the mini album. After these two records, they never put on another record again until Chinese Democracy, mm-hmm. which was you know, 20 years later or whatever it was, they were so huge. And then they just disappeared. It was crazy. The complete rock and roll story. But at this point in time, they're at their peak, two albums coming out on the same day. And we mentioned there might be a couple other bands or or artists, rap artists, maybe whatever, but nobody had the buzz that Guns N' Roses did at this point in time to do this. And to me, it's a monumental time in rock and roll. And it's such a cool fact they did this. And there's, like I said, the majority of this material is A+. So two thumbs up on both records and two thumbs up to Guns N' Roses. And I'm excited to see them play some of these songs soon. Go ahead, Frank. Going back to what we were talking about at the beginning with 1991 being just such a, like you said, almost an embarrassment of riches. How many just incredible albums were released. You know, we're lucky enough. We got two Guns N' Roses, two long Guns N' Roses albums. You know, yeah. and that had to hold us over for a long time. Yeah. I'm, both, I'm, both you guys have heard the new song, uh, obviously. But yes. it's like, uh, yes. these, yeah. you know, like Chinese democracy is what it is. But that's not, you know, that's not Slash. That's not Axel and Duff. Yeah. You know, it's, I'm, I'm very, very grateful we got these two records. Just the music videos, the memories that they're tied to. Like you said, it's almost like a, a time capsule when these albums came out where they were on the billboard charts and like that is a bygone era that you know it's very archaic to even talk about it now like it's just you'll never see anything like that again nobody will be at that level like you said after one album nobody will be that over nobody will put out 
two records with you know a combined combined 30 songs or whatever it is i'm just glad we have these records from one of my absolutely favorite bands on earth yes joe it just uh the two together kind of encapsulates like my early teens you know and then i strayed a little bit and i was of course the the white kid listening to gangster rap for a little while there but <laughs> i found my way back to to usual illusion as i got closer in my 20s and yeah, it's like you said, there's so many great songs on there. And could they have, you know, shorted up and put out like a great 14 song album? Of course they could have, but they didn't because they're Guns N' Roses, right? Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun to still listen to them and look back and, and think about the memories you have of the songs and making memories, listening to the songs. And to this day, still making memories, listening to the songs and seeing what they're going to play live and all that. And still being able to follow the band now that... Slash and Duff are back, and uh, seeing what's coming next is going to be exciting. Maybe they'll release three albums on the same day. Oh, God. You know, <laughs> you coming know. up. So, <laughs> I, I always equate it to uh, when when Metallica put out Hardwired to Self-Destruct, and it was, I don't know, there's I can't remember how many tunes were. It was a fairly long record, and people were bagging on that. That's too long. There's too many songs. And Lars was like, hold on a second. We haven't made a record eight years, and you're complaining that it's too long like what do you want from us and it's the same kind of with this that people were like oh there's too many songs it's like, there's not too many songs they they had a lot of ideas and they all panned out and once again like you guys said it's guns and roses at their peak and also at the peak of all the diversity that they had to make them one of the greatest rock and roll bands of all time with only two uh two three official albums basically released at the time i was i also want to say i was watching guns and roses from tokyo just what year? Uh, 92, after when they did the illusion. Yeah. Gotcha. And Axl Rose is the, if you look up the word rock star, yeah. like he's out there, he, like he has like high techs on, black biker shorts, yeah. and like a like a motorcycle jacket. Like it just, nobody could pull that off of <laughs> yeah. him. Just so yeah. cool. He's so no. cool, man. All three of them. I mean, that's the thing. Oh, yeah. Duff, oh, yeah. Duff and, and Slash as well. Like they are the epitome as a front line. You could put, it's like the Stones. As long as you got Mick and Keith, and obviously Ronnie's there too, but. You got Mick and Keith, you got Axel Slash and Duff. You could put us three guys as backup guys. Nobody gives a shit. It's like, bring back Steve and bring back Izzy. Dude, yeah, it'd be cool, but I don't care. I got those three guys. That's Guns N' Roses. That's rock and roll, and I'm happy with that. Plus, when they have, you know, Richard Fortas can really perform, too. Like, as long as they have someone in the slots that can play, it could be anybody. It's it's Wolfgang Van Halen and Van Halen. He wouldn't be there if he wasn't a monumental musician. My point is, when you see those three cats, it's Guns N' Roses. It could be anybody. Yep. Yeah, exactly. All right, guys. Great time uh, talking about this with you. It's hard to believe it's been 30 years. And uh, like I said, I'm going to go on Spotify and make my list. If you guys do the same, we'll post all of them for uh, everybody listening. And uh, this was a lot of fun. It was. So uh, maybe in 20 years we can do uh, Chinese democracy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you, bud. Thanks, Reggie. Yep. Thanks, guys.